Welcome to Melangela's Soul Garden Podcast, the platform that makes a change. We'll be helping you to navigate a new life, boost your potential, grow spiritually, enjoy nature's ways, reinvent a creative you and so much more. Hosted by Melangela. If you would like to be notified about new episodes, you can subscribe to my newsletter, where I also share some exclusive contents. There will be no spam, and if you don't like it, you can unsubscribe at any time. You can find the link to the newsletter in the description of the episode. Now, on with the show! Enjoy! Hello from Melangela, and this is Melangela's Soul Garden. Today with me, Rusty Lihay. A very good day to you, Rusty. Oh, hello. So very nice to have you. It's nice to be here. Rusty, you, you seem to, to, to lead a life that is really full of exciting things, traveling to different places and meeting inspiring people. And at the end of the Ju- July, if I'm not mistaken, you spent some time learning with Eric Admides, uh, admits that is um, admits learning about was it digital product creation yes i did okay. and it was seven full days of eight in the morning till four in the afternoon which was late for people in europe and then excessively early for people in new zealand and australia and it was very it was a very good program so what did you enjoy most I enjoyed how they set it up and how they showed us that we can use our own life story and our own passion, our own wisdom to create a product that we can put online and help other people. Because in these interesting times that we are in, we do need to take advantage of our technological resources. Absolutely right. So at the end of this Court or train, uh, course or training, did you actually come up with, uh, with products as such or just ideas? I have a load of ideas. I have one that's really crazy about how you can toilet train your cat, which I did at one point so that I didn't have to deal with the litter box. I did have a cat in my past. But the one that I'm thinking seriously of working on now is how to be a dude, not a dud. And when you return to the dating game in your 50s and 60s, based on what do women want after 50s, after they turn 50, it's a whole new ball game for us. It's very different what we want to have in the way of a relationship. Absolutely right. I couldn't agree more. <laughs> Being in the same sort of category. Okay, a little bit of um, Rusty. So you are from Alberta, right? Yes. And you are a creative writing instructor and a collaborative editor, lover of words. And this is what I uh, read about you. If you want a fresh, intuitive approach to help find the right words at the right time for all the right reasons, ask Rusty. Her, top, uh, her, her two top fashions are coaching writers and editing emphatically. Rusty is smiling at me, which means probably she agrees. (laughs) I do. (laughs) Right. And I must have read someplace in your Instagram, I believe, uh, this sentence, and it says something like that. 
everyone needs a rusty in their life and i really love this one so who did, who who said that and on what occasion so funny you found that one it's i volunteer quite a bit and i volunteer we decided to make it a family activity so that we could get off the farm and go and do something fun together in the summer because the work's never done in the farm especially when you're building homes and um starting things from scratch on rough land and so my sister's granddaughters were never getting out to have any of the fun activities other kids were getting in summer so we volunteered for edmonton folk fest music music festival and it was incredible experience and so on our volunteer profiles somebody found a picture that somebody had done with me on Facebook. Everybody needs a little rusty in their lives and had taken it. I don't even know who did it. I, I think it was one of my authors that I worked with. And then the Folk Fest people that were putting profiles on their site of all their volunteers found that picture and loved it and put it on there too. So it's a couple places now. I love it. So it, it just caught my eye and I thought, wow. <laughs> What a, what a nice idea to start to start with. Okay, so I'd like today's conversation to revolve around yet another another type of creativity, the one that is all about the words, the way they are put together, intertwined in in a refined manner, and being full of messages, open or even better still, hidden. And since I mentioned um well eric earlier on i'm going to use his words to open this conversation really and i love this one a butterfly cannot see its wings you've no idea how brilliant you are we mostly don't see the way we are or we only see the bad and ignore the good now, what were the hurdles in your life that have crafted such a noble person and such a gentle soul, Rusty? Mm. Can you touch on some of the things that you can share with our audience to make a point of how things can get changed drastically? I certainly can. Uh, I was born the last of six children to... Uh, farm, my husband and wife, my mother and father, in um, Prairies, Alberta. And my father was a drinker. He had PTSD from the war. My mother was pregnant with her first child, my oldest sibling, before she was married. <coughs> Excuse me. And that was in 1940. And she had me in 1960, a full 20 years after my first sibling was born. And so I was already an aunt or an uncle before I was born, before I was conceived. And there were lots of stresses in the household home. I am sure that my mother came from a place of where she'd been abused as a child. So there was abuse rampant in our family, alcoholism as well. So a lot of those things didn't come to the surface until my sister and I started dealing with them when we were in our 20s and 30s and then we took it seriously and we took the bull by the horns and we started looking at everything close in depth and realizing that we needed to change the pattern so that our children didn't grow up in that kind of environment because 
family environments repeat. I mean, a family that eats healthy, the children will tend to eat healthy. You also inherit the dysfunctions too, just from how people relate. We learned that from childhood on. And so we worked really hard to change that for our own children. I never let anybody else babysit my son because I knew that I was incapable of hurting him or molesting him in the same way that I had been. And I thought the safest way to do that is to make sure that nobody else was ever responsible for the care of him until he was older and he could talk very clearly about how he felt, whether there was any frustrations, whether he was angry, whether he was sad, whether he was confused. We made sure that feeling words were part of his vocabulary from way young. And when I was dealing with my own abuse from my childhood, it was, it was a convoluted journey and it continued in my marriage. Where did you get the courage from? I mean, did you have a supportive soul that you can confide in or how, 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 did, how did you get the courage? How, how come you plucked up the courage? I mean, <laughs> um, you know, it's it said now, like I also have done some volunteering at the Sexual Assault Center in Edmonton for a number of years and helping run the groups and being uh, a support person there was really educational too for how to protect children now in more ways than, than what I knew how to do with my son and just out and out and out, make sure that I was there all the time. And that is to make sure that your children do not only have you, um, the parents, to make sure that they have somebody else in their life as well. We really need to honor the saying that it takes a village to raise a child. There was a little old lady that lived across the road from me when I was growing up. And when my older siblings were gone to school, I would cross the field and I would stand at the fence and she'd go, don't cross the road, honey, don't cross the road, I'll come get you. <laughs> and when we had to go catch the bus, we were just on the line in between the two municipalities. That school didn't come to get us from the west and the school from the east didn't come to get us either. We had to walk down our driveway into the corner, the nearest intersection, where then the one bus would come pick us up. And so every day when I was going to school, I would walk by Mrs. Ladd's house. And she would welcome me in after. She would always wave in the morning. I always made sure to wave at her window. And when I came home from school, I could stop and have tea and cookies with her. And she was, she was the angel that loved me unconditionally. She was the angel that well, her touch was always gentle and kind and sweet and innocent. And she was the, the unconditional love and the outside family person that I could count on always. And I am sure she kept me alive through the bullying years and through the incestuous years. She is one of those main people. So we cannot be everything to anyone else. We can be so good as parents. We need to allow other people into our children's lives. People that we cultivate carefully. People that we trust. People that will carry on our morals and ethics with them but that have that distance of so it's so easy for them to unconditionally love our children. And when my son was older, I strove to find him a positive male role model. And he would go and spend time with this man, Peter, and build 
and create things and bring them back. Thank you for sharing this with us. Uh, I'm, I'm truly very happy that you had your angel guardian when you needed, when you needed yes. him or her. And uh, at what age did you grasp the meaning of Eric's butterfly sentence and stepped out from the shade? Mm, much too late in life. I would say that I stayed, even though I started the healing journey at 22 and a half, 23 seriously, it was so convoluted and I still stayed in that victim place. Traditional counseling has its role. It certainly does for helping people recover memories to realize that what happened was wrong to realize that they deserve to be treated as an innocent and traditional therapy has its role but there is a place where we need to switch from that place of what was done to me was wrong poor me and i'm not saying that i was in the poor me but it's so subtle that we can be caught there in this this sticky web of i didn't deserve this to stay there and then when the sexual abuse continued in my marriage because i hadn't fully healed it from the childhood and transferred those feelings to my son's father i then had those years eight years of victimhood let's say to then continue being angry and upset and and that victim you know and 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 so being a survivor of the childhood incest didn't really move me to a place of knowing my true magic. It wasn't until I think in my late forties, my sister made me sit down and say, you're going to write every way that you were at fault for making your marriage fail. And I said to her, you are so not making me do this. And I, I didn't say it quite so politely and you know, a bit of my stomping in my feet and stuff, but she had the car and the keys and I needed to be somewhere. So I needed to write this before we were going anywhere. It's never mattered to her whether or not she's on time. I shouldn't say that it didn't matter. I should just say that being on time has never been one of her strong suits. She's got many other strong suits, but being on time is not one of them. And it was not a priority for her. The priority for her that day was for me to take a very big step into my own healing and see that we play a part in every interaction. When one little soul, Neil Donald Walsh writes this book for children, and the little souls are jumping up and down so excited that they get to come to earth. And the divine being says, what do you want to learn on your time on earth? And one says, I want to learn forgiveness. I want to learn forgiveness. Oh, my God. <laughs> and the divine being says, well, we're going to need someone then to offer to teach you that. And another little soul steps forward and says, I will, I will. And the first little one says, but your light is so bright. How can you do that to like come and, and want to do something that could be requiring my forgiveness? And, and I'm learning how to do that. And the other little soul says, because I love you that much. So if we think about things that way, that the hurt that was done to me, that I might have volunteered for that so that I could learn to be forgiving. 
and I could learn to stand up and say that we all play a part in this and that we have then a choice to step out of that part and become something new like the butterfly and being able to see our wings not just in the reflection of others but when we can actually finally look in the mirror with total and complete self-love and go that past is a part of who i am now my students that i teach creative writing to some of them that i've been with for years they would often ask me how can i remember book titles and author names with such quickness and and deafness and and their topics of their stories and their content and say remember Vern when you did this with the mouse and the couple in the bathroom and that that kind of sense of humor bring some of that into the story over here and I would do things like that with them or I would say to Isabel when you know she talked about when she was a child under the the floor of their house helping the handyman from town shore up the house and he tried something funny with her and when I was teaching her she was already in her late 80s so this would have been in the early 30s that this happened and yet her parents of that generation were wise enough to notice that something was not right with their daughter that night and then they were wise enough to be able to sit with the silence until she could tell them in what had happened and then the whole town was wise enough to not shoo him out of town but to tell him they knew what he had done they knew who he was and that if he tried to move to another town they would let the other town know so that he just better stay there and clean up his act how mature and forethinking was that village and that that family in that time so there are so many ways to look at human interactions and dynamics and take out the victim persecutor rescuer equation and hold people accountable in our healing and also in our flaws and our wounding that causes us to wound others so my students would ask me that that went a long about way around back to my students would ask me how can i remember things and i would say do you really want to know do you really really <laughs> want to know and they were then get a little suspicious and go okay and I would say, because when I was being molested in my bedroom as a child, I would practice memorization games to take myself out of what was happening to my body. I would memorize. I would memorize poems. I would memorize things in books. I would memorize my multiplication tables. I can still do math in my head almost as fast as the calculator because of this. And because of that, I can remember what you have written in the first few pages of your book when I'm working with an author in a full length book and say, I think that's better here, or you've done this twice, which place would be stronger? Where does it most belong? And so I've turned the hindsight window that Eric Edmeads also talks about and looked at what happened and how it's given me some gifts that make me extremely valuable as a writing coach and editor for my clients such a such a beautiful story i mean and uh, explanation about the about the about forgiveness still i think mark twain said that what forgiveness is it's the fragrance that the violet sheds upon the hill that thrashed it and it's isn't that i mean just beautiful um it is. 
And I remember when I discovered and I learned that I was diagnosed with cancer, I thought, oh, poor me. And I was, you know, looking around trying to figure out who was to blame for that. When in fact, I should have, you know, looked inside and, and searched for answers there. And I see really, I mean, I understand well what you're saying about the victim and the very um, sort of uh, thin line between the victim and the, the one that wants to change things for the better and takes responsibility for her or his life. Mm -hmm. uh, okay, so when in particular did you then truly discover, wow, writing it is for me? <laughs> I have always been a writer from the farmhouse floor after we did a road trip with my sister and brother-in-law because my mother always wanted to go to Mexico. So I went with my three nephews, my mother, my sister and brother-in-law, brave man he was, to take his in-laws and children across country from Alberta, Canada to Mexico, my mother's dream on her bucket list before there was ever such a term. And I would meet kids along the way in campgrounds and I would collect addresses and be become a pen pal back at home my belly on the farmhouse floor I'd be like whining to my mother what do I write about and she'd say well that's easy write about when the goslings are born too early in spring and there's still snow in the ground and the mama can't keep them warm and we have to bring them in the house and we have to feed them milk soaked in bread and they're peep peep peeping so loud and so you start <laughs> shoving the bread down their gullet and then write about how soft and fuzzy they are and how when you're, you know, they're fighting against you and they don't want to be stuffed in and you have to hold them gently and curl their legs in and stuff them down in the wool sock and close it up with a clothespin to put them in a wood box behind the wood stove. And as they're tucked in like that, they go, they make this soft little sound. And when you dump them out in the morning, they're like shrieking, their little peeps are so loud, it would like burst your eardrum. And so she really, as much as she was such a wounded woman and, there was so many things that were not right in our childhood home. She had a way of loving words. She herself was taken out of school to help on the farm when she you was know, way too young. She loved words and writing and reading and, and would write us letters and would write diary on the back of matchbooks because paper was always a shortage. So I've been a writer since then, paying attention to detail, bringing in the sounds and the feeling and the emotions of, of a moment. And when I really fell in love with writing and started believing I was a writer was when I went back to school as a mature student to university in 1990. Because in grade nine, I was told I was too dumb to graduate by a vice principal and principal saying, you can't do the sciences. That would just be a waste of your time. You won't make it. You need to do the secretarial. And so I, I swallowed that for a long time. But when I went back to school as a mature student, an English professor uh, just was so encouraging and so affirming and just gave me such belief in my own ability. I ended up being on the dean's list and graduating with distinction, both in New Mexico State University. When I spent a year there, I was on the dean's list and back at home in the University of Alberta, the dean's list and graduating with distinction and thinking, what did those teachers know? So I started taking my writing seriously in 1996, joining several different writers' organizations and contributing there, learning from them more there about 
how to make writing a business. My first paid article for writing for magazines and newspapers was in 1999 and writing with the Strolla Poets and performing there since 1996, becoming a member of the Writers Guild of Alberta around that same time, the Professional Writers Association of Canada 2003 until it disbanded two years ago, the member of the Canadian Freelance Union for a few years and now um, following pretty much everything Eric Edmeads says because I believe I have a mission to share on how we can communicate the things that are legitimate alleys and legitimate wrongs but come into our own and stand in our own power and our own light and find that the story that we stay stuck in is our choice and if we can move ourselves out of that story which is why I say if you've lived and breathed you have a story someone's waiting for it and the pen is mightier than the therapist I have so this one coming up coming on later on still yeah. <laughs> okay since you mentioned it no no problem <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the pen is mightier than the therapist and writing and and we can write our ways into healing so i have one specific retreat that i call writing compassion into our past with specific exercises that will help writers find that that breadcrumb trail of their own that their soul has left them because i really believe that we can learn our lessons in life when it's a feather tickling and kind of irritating or whether it's a brick or when it's a bus and I'd really like to learn it when it's a feather. And I've spent too much of my life learning when it's the brick or the bus or even just ignoring that being flattened out and getting back up and going at things the same way. And I really want to be able to bring my story to others so that maybe it can jumpstart them earlier and not be um, on their 50th birthday crying like I was thinking that I was going to be an involved, wonderfully, mutually life-giving relationship. I was not. <laughs> my nephew got married on my 50th birthday. And um, and thinking that there's so much more I, I could have done with my life then. But now I'm here and I'm going to do with it all that I can now and hopefully lay some bread trail, breadcrumb trails for others to come to their own light earlier and find out that there is so much more power in saying yes i played a part in that you just i'm lost for words because you know um what you give to people is really important and what you do i mean whenever i wherever i look and whatever i read is rusty and it's full of praise and people smiling around you and I, I have never been around you before, but I can see the energy that you radiate and it's very positive and very given to everyone. And you see, you mentioned that you are inspirational and I know you are for authors uh, and writers, professionals. But I remember when I was really in pain that I found solace in writing. And I, I took a pen and I just, I poured my sadness and despair onto paper. And afterwards, I just, you know, felt as if in a way being purified and comforted in that special way. And even being able to see some green light at the end of the tun tunnel. So 
how can you, I mean, would you try and explain that to a layman? <laughs> What's going on really in this oh. magical, with, with say maybe, as Ambika would say, magical world of writing? What's, right. What is going on when things like that happen? There is a science that says um, more about how when we're writing by hand, we actually have a connection from our heart to our brain to down our, our arm onto the page. And when we free ourselves up to put our inner thoughts and our feelings on the page, if that is the only safe place we have to put our thoughts and our emotions, then our journal is, is the way. One of the very first authors that I worked with collaboratively and immersively, where we worked five days in a row straight on our book, getting it edited and ready to go to print, we, that was her process. She was silent and so lost inside herself that when she did go to counseling, she would just sit there and, and cry. And the counselor held space for her for now. And I don't recall how many sessions she had like that, but there were more than one or two. And then she said, can you write about it? And so she gave her a journal and she wrote about it can you read it? Some more sessions in silence. May I read it for you? So that's the extreme, but that was the beginning of her healing where she has become this amazing clinically trained psychologist later in life and now serves other people to find that healing for themselves. I know that my sister and I have always used journaling as a means of finding our way into something and writing Sometimes I write something that I never need to send because then I get it all out if I'm, you know, in a relationship dynamic with somebody. Sometimes I write it and then I refine it and I refine it and then I write it again and I then might send it to the person if I feel it's not my agenda but that it might serve us both, which was a really good lead-in to how my sister and I, as close as we are now, we were 10 years estranged. And when I wrote her a letter at the end of those 10 years saying, I don't understand what you meant by this saying when you said to me that we couldn't have a relationship unless it was your way. And I don't think you know the rest of the story about how when you left the farm and I could write to you and you became um, a member of a religion that my 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 mother didn't didn't like she would say don't trust her don't trust her you can't trust her she'll convert you she'll convert you and I then had this imprinted on me when I was nine and ten because this sister is ten years older not the 20 years older one but this one's the 10 years older sister and I wrote to her and I said that when I wanted to get back into relationship with you and you said to me that we had to do it your way that activated all that old stuff from childhood about trust, don't trust her, she'll convert you. But it occurred to me that I don't know what you meant by saying that, and you don't know how our mother indoctrinated me to not trust you, and that maybe we need to sit down and talk and sort through this. And Margaret Lawrence is a great, absolutely fantastic Canadian author. And in one of the interviews where somebody is interviewing her about her characters and why she does dialogue the way she does and why she doesn't have them tell everything in their heads because, 
you know, life would be so much better. Communication would be so much easier if she had her character say what was in their heads. And Margaret Lawrence says, that isn't the way real life is. And so when we have a relationship dynamic with somebody that is puzzling us or troubling us or causing us pain, it is up to us to share what is on our heart and mind. And sometimes when we don't have the words for it verbally, we can put them on the page. And it's the safest place to put them. And then we can figure out if we need to say that out loud. If we can't say it out loud, can we trust the other person to read it? But here's a little bit of an advice that, that I want to be very careful because unsolicited advice is criticism. You do not want to put on the page anywhere what you wouldn't want on the front page of your morning paper. So you need to be very careful if you share your writing, your innermost thoughts with someone. But it does help when you put your pain and your uh, despair on paper and let Absolutely. it out. Do not bottle it up. Absolutely. Absolutely. Absolutely mm -hmm. right. Yeah. And here is your sentence, the favorite, <laughs> my favorite. If you have lived and breathed, you have a story and someone's waiting for it. Uh, I really love this one. And uh, a lot has been said on, on, on uh, the topic already. Um, do you really think every single one of us can sit down to a piece of paper and put down words of comfort to us, to ourselves? Mm. I believe that we definitely can write letters to ourselves. We can write letters to our past selves. We can write letters to our mother at the age we are now that's one little writing exercise maybe some of your guests and listeners might want to try if you have had difficulty with one of your parents or if you have difficulty with a, a work relationship or a significant other sit down and write a letter to yourself as if you're writing from them that's one exercise then follow that up with writing an exercise to that person at the age you are now, make them that age, but then go and look back at the time when the incident happened that's troubling or causing friction. And whatever way that you can get yourself to look at it from a different angle, you will see with new eyes. I think Marcel Proust said something about that. I don't quite have the quote right, but it's something about compassion is seeing things with new eyes or different eyes. And so Amazing. When you step into the shoes of another person and write from that. And more to your question about can every one of us sit down and write. I believe that some of us are meant to draw what we feel. And then there are the people that that don't hear music, but they see it. There's amazing, I, I can't remember the name for that, but I find that absolutely astounding. And so I think that for some people that might find words difficult, they might wanna try dictating in their voice memo. When I had a very difficult letter to write at one point and I was out walking, I thought, well, I'm just gonna dictate my thoughts as fast as they're coming. And so I dictated them and then I wrote the letter. So there are definitely ways to explore what we need to be what we need to say sometimes we can do it through art therapy sometimes we can do it through words which is obviously my chosen medium my favorite medium 
And sometimes we can do it through singing or creating music or cooking a meal for someone and, and communicating our, our love that way. And burning the meal, that might be a passive-aggressive way of communicating something too, because there are all these different ways of communicating. But when our communication isn't effective and when we're hurting, we are the only ones that can fix that. We start with ourselves to figure out what it is we need to say or, or and we say. need to take responsibility as well. Absolutely. One of my favorite quotes is by Erica Young. I've had this forever. I've known it for such a long time. Is take control of your own lives. A terrible thing happens. No one to blame. Wow. <laughs> How true this is. <laughs> you just need yeah. to look at yourself and, and search for a culprit there. Mm -hmm. So what to do with self-limiting beliefs? Oh, I can't. I just, I'm, I'm no good. Um, there are better, I mean, people who, who can do things much better than I do. A piece of advice there. Mm. Well, if they're talking about writing, then it can't do it. There's always ghostwriters because ghostwriters are very, very skilled. I have a very good ghostwriter on my team. And they're very good interviewers because then they can get the story out. Now, I have another story about Kant, and it's uh, how one of my classmates in New Mexico, when we were in a creative writing class there, her book, Making Waves, and um, she was Luann Johnson, and her other book, Dangerous Minds, they made a movie with Michelle Pfeiffer in it where she was teaching kids in ghetto in Los Angeles. But in the Making Waves book, she talks about leaving her husband. They were both in the Navy, and her husband was terribly abusive. And he, in the way that controlling um, abusive partners are, said, oh, you should probably take a class, you know, like just like giving her something to do or being controlling. And so she ended up signing up for a course that was taught by the Navy psychologist uh, on psychology. And she went and the first night she sat down there and he had everybody repeat and, and finish a sentence. I can't. And I have to. And so she wrote down without really knowing where it was coming from. Here again, the pen is mightier than the therapist will write down things that will surprise us. I can't leave my marriage. I have to wear my uniform. Oh my God. And then he had them cross out the I can't and cross out the I have to and say, I choose to instead of I have to. And the can't is I don't want to. And she rebelled against that. Now he's walking up and down and he actually sees her struggle and sees from walking silently on his loafers or whatever before she can cover up her page, he sees that. And so he became that one person in her life at that moment that was this outside thread that started having her become more conscious along with writing her words. But the truth is when we write I can't, is we're really telling ourselves, I don't want to. I don't want to risk the upsetting the waves, which is where the title of a book comes from, Making Waves. I don't want to, you know, take the risk of, of being caught and being beaten more. And, and being then, criticized, maybe. Yes, exactly. And so, and the, I, I'll just quickly tell you that I have to, before we circle back to the I can't, is that I have to wear my uniform. She said, and he made her choose that sentence as a discussion for the class. They're all in the Navy. He said, no, you choose to. No, I have to. No, you choose to. Like, what happens when you don't wear your uniform? 
well, I could get penalized. I could get these, you know, whatever they do in the Navy or whatever. Well, then you're choosing to not get penalized. You're choosing to not, you know, be called upon. You're choosing to not be written up for not wearing your uniform. That's a choice. You don't have to wear your uniform. Everything is a choice. Everything, including not making a choice about certain things that you think you can't do. That's a choice as well. Only if you're brave enough to yes. step out of your yeah. comfort zone in a way. Yeah, well, so, that's where the magic happens outside the comfort zone, Absolutely right? right. So how does Rusty feel when she writes or helps people to create in a more polished way? Mm. I have to say that it, it might be the closest thing to an addiction I've ever had because I get teased by my niece who has smoked and quit smoking his drinks and struggles with that has quit hard drugs and stuff and she says you're just terrible you have no vices you're not addicted to anything i've never drank coffee i've never been drunk i've never tried drugs but helping authors find the way that they want to communicate their story in the way that best serves the audience because i tell my authors i'm not the boss you're not the boss the audience is and so helping them and being told by authors that that's what I wanted to say and I didn't know how to say it how do you do that or being told that how come you can find ways to say things better than I can and I just love that and said it's what I do it's collaborative writing it's collaborative editing I'm finding out from you when you say that you want the reader to get this and the words aren't quite getting there it's just my asking you a few questions and hearing what you're saying between the lines and putting that on the page and then making the sentence work grammatically. And there you have it. Such a great empath. I'm, I'm in all the way through, a loving person. So Eric's definition of success again is, success is most easily measured by the numbers of days you are truly happy. And your definition of success, Rusty. Mm. My definition of success. I think I'm still working on that. I don't think okay, I have all the answers. <laughs> and I, you know, success for me would be to uh, that there are three things that I think of is when I think of success on when I think of prosperity-wise success is enough to share that comes first, enough to save that comes second. Enough, enough to spend in a carefree manner, making sure that the first, first two are taken care of, that I'm saving enough for the, the winter of my life, having just turned 60 this year. And that Congratulations. I'm having, <laughs> thank you. I'm having enough to share with people because sharing is important to me. And Grant McEwen is an iconic figure here in Edmonton, Alberta. He started McEwen College and then it became McEwen University. And he wrote a book called The Waterworks or Waterways. I can't quite remember right now. But he said, the problem isn't that there isn't enough water in the world. The problem is, is that we haven't figured out distribution. And so the same thing with money and that I would consider it a success if we were not on a monetary system and if people were, were honored to, to do what they love doing, to help people find their intersection of their skill, their passion, their knowledge, and and make it rewarding to do that and that we give up the money system and know that that when this person contributes doing what they love doing then this person over here can partake of what that person's doing 
and be rejuvenated so that then they can do this thing over here. So help them. And, and does that mean that we're not going to have any ditch diggers or laborers because they'd think less of that? No, that doesn't mean that at all. Because when I long time ago, before I knew who I was or what I wanted to be, I was working with the mentally challenged. And we had one young man that loved mowing lawns, loved, loved, loved mowing lawns. And so we were having happy neighbors all up and down the group home street because he would go and mow their lawns and he was very efficient at it. His IQ was, yeah, his IQ was educable, um, trainable in between there when you're looking at the, the old way that we used to classify them. We had another client that loved to yell and cheer and we successfully taught her that she could go be a, a professional cheerleader not, you know, doing the bumps and the, you know, the flips and the, the leaps and stuff, but she could yell at hockey games and cheer on teams and, and we could get it out of her system that way. So there is something for everybody. Right. Yeah. And the closing remark for today. An invisible red thread connects those who are destined to meet regardless of time place and circumstance and your take on this last one mm, that is a good one that is one that i could write on for days because i could look at the people that I i've know. met in my life and when i've met them and what they were doing at that moment intersecting with my life and that one if every single person just took seven key people from their past and wrote something about what happened in their life because of that person, they would have a book. They would have a book. A book, not a page, but a book. They would have a book. And even if it was a very short little book and vignette, because some of my favorite memoirs are just one or two, three pages in little vignettes. Sandra Cisneros wrote the book House on Mango Street. And it's about a time period where she lived in this house on Mango Street with her family and just little memories and vignettes of time there. And I actually offer an article that I have created for people if they want to have some ideas and inspiration on how to put together their memoir. I offer that to people if they'd like to have that. That red thread that goes through your life, if you start tracing it back, I think that you will actually find that you might be able to let go of resentments that linger, um, any old angers or anything that has a chance to hold you back from your true power, because you will find that sometimes the person that might've irritated you the most had the biggest lesson and mm. that you learned it. And then you haven't even really followed the red thread back to see where that learning came from. Yeah. What great teachers. If only we, we just observed and just be and think and not talk so much and, and criticize. Mm -hmm. And something from you, not, not my question, but some, something to our audience from your side. Mm. If you're looking to try something new and you're at a pleasant, uh, a present place in your life that, that maybe has some trials or tribulations, find something to do for you that's solely for you that is self-care and if that means a walk because that's the best thing you can do that's great if that means 
putting on some music that you like and just taking five minutes for time for you. That means meditating at a red light. Someone will always let you know that it turns green when it turns green. And it doesn't have to be words or writing. It can be visual art. It can be going to the local library and saying, I want to teach somebody my language. And it can be volunteering at a premature nursery in a hospital. It can be anything, but find something that takes you out of your present situation and puts you into a new place because we can't stay in the old mess or the old scenario when we add something new. Things change. They're always changing. We're never the same as we were five minutes ago. My life has been enriched by spending this time with you right now. This was so wonderful. Thank you very much, Rusty. Now, where can people find you? Your social my media name, contacts? Yes. My name is my website. I am on Instagram with my name, Rusty Lehay. And Rusty is spelled with an I, not a Y. So it's a name, not a condition. <laughs> so it's Rusty Lehay, R-U-S-T-I-L-E-H-A-Y. And that's my website, .ca. I'm proud of being a Canadian. And that's my Instagram, Rusty Lehay on Instagram. And on Facebook, I go by Rusty Lee, L-E-E. Thank you very much. Thank you for taking your time, for being here with me, and for your warm and kind words full of wisdom. Really pleasure having you. Oh, a pleasure being here. Thank you so much for the great, great hour we spent together. Thank you. Thank you, dear listeners, for staying with us. Keep smiling. Till next time, Melangela.